It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth for Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Coming up, Brett Kitching has lived and worked in Ipswich almost all of his life. Approaching 58, he will retire as General Manager of Ipswich Turf Club on March 1st, 2021. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone who knows Bundamba and Ipswich any better. Brett joins Ipswich today to share his life's journey so far and is this episode's special guest. It's Friday, October 9, 2020, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Today's special guest is Ipswich local Brett Kitching, who is the well-known manager of Ipswich Turf Club. He is a fifth-generation Ipswichian, and he joins me now. Thanks for chatting with Ipswich today, Brett. Uh, yes, I'm pleased to, Al. Your family history probably mirrors many local families with links to the first coal mines in the district, say around the 1840s and 50s. Where does yours start? Uh, so the Kitching line is way back in Leeds, way back 200 years, more than 200 years ago. Uh, they went for over a couple of generations, they, they uh, made their way up to Edinburgh in Scotland as a coal mining family, and and uh, from Port of Glasgow, travelled out to Maryborough in 18, or left in 1882, arrived in 1883, and uh, spent a bit of time in Howard up uh, near Maryborough, coal mining, mm-hmm. and then moved out down to Ipswich, um, uh, where, there was, where there was a lot more coal mining happening at the time. What about your earliest memories of Bundamba? T- take us back there through your eyes as a child. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, well, having gone to the uh, Bandamba Primary School, um, uh, some earliest memories, I guess, are uh, going to year one uh, when I was four years old. Um, so I can remember um, the strive to succeed sign out the front of the the school. There was a, a, a velodrome across the road from the school at the time, way back then. Uh, since that time, obviously, the the pool, the um, the skate park, the the football ground had always been there. The soccer football ground, mm-hmm. uh, the basketball stadium, all in the seventies. The pool, the basketball stadium, uh, they they all um, arrived. Uh, I remember, I well and truly remember the floods. So the ten year old lad at the time, and um, the uh, the floods of of seventy four, um, and helping to clean out some of the 
nearby houses after that, um, which were quite a mess, uh, mud everywhere and uh, a horrible mess. Um, I remember we lived the other, uh, Ever, Evervale, so the other side of Bendamba, and driving to the top of the hill and looking out over a, a sea of water back in 74 um, as, as the Bendamba Creek swelled right across the, the racetrack, uh, across the school, uh, as far as the pub, um, which has been there since the 1890 as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, from and then from Bundamba Primary up to Bundamba High, uh, played basketball uh, when I was a, as a 13-year-old uh, at, the, at the stadium, swam at the pool uh, and played football across the road, as did my father and grandfather and, and uh, a whole bunch of kitchens before that. So sport obviously played a, a big part in your, your younger days. What, what did you excel at inside the classroom, particularly after you got to Bundamba High? Very good results uh, at Bandamba High. Um, uh, so I remember doing an, an English essay uh, on my favourite footballer, Palais, Palais the God, and his God given gifts in grade eight at Bandamba High and getting a 20, 20 out of 20 for that and, and uh, winning the, um, the English prize that, that year. There were 300 kids in the in, in, in each year, there were fifteen hundred kids at the school. It was very, it was full at the time. The Bendemba High School. Yeah, that's a big um, school. But, mm. Yes, and, and maths. Yeah, like I, said, I did quite well at maths and physical education. Now, would I be right in saying that you would have been one of the early cohort of students at Bundamba? I think it opened in nineteen seventy. Yeah, that's probably yeah. I'm, I'm, so, so I started there in seventy five. Right. Um, I, I know my brother did in 73 it wasn't a long time before i i went there that it uh, that it was built and opened i remember an interesting first day up there in grade eight uh, we were giving being given an orientation around the school around the school yard and i remember going down to the flat uh, across the road from where they, they have netball courts down there now but it was a, the flat area across the road from the creek mm-hmm. and the race course and um I remember seeing the, the coal mine shaft uh, open and with a few witches hats around it saying um, just you, you all everyone has to stay away all your kids have to stay away from from this hole in the ground and that was and within it, the school remember, ground yes yes it was at the, at the, in the bottom corner I remember it being <laughs> there for um, probably almost 12 months because we walked down the oval to catch the bus the bus was all caught down there and we were just told to stay away from that so it was open it was obviously a collapsed um, mine shaft that uh, had had resulted from the floods of the previous year. Oh, workplace health and safety's moved on a little bit uh, since <laughs> then, Brett. <laughs> it has indeed. I actually actually talking about um, workplace health and safety. A great uncle, one of the um, he was a lad that came over on the boat uh, from Scotland, and he was when he was in 1935, and he was 50, 58 or so. Um, he was coal mining, and it was. Basically, underneath the, um, the the racetrack in that in that area in that region, the racetrack mm-hmm. and surround, and he was um, he was killed by a, a a beam that fell down. So the mine's rescue is very close by. It's over where Russell Allen Motors is now. But but uh, yeah, I actually have the report from from that back then when when he was he was killed, and and uh, he's one of the one of those on the miners' memorial. Right. That was Adam Adam Kitchen. Sport plays a big part in Ipswich, and your family has played the world game, football, which we Aussies call soccer. Uh, tell us about your dad and your sporting highlights. Oh, well, even, even back 
further from my dad. So, so granddad played for uh, Queensland. He, he he went pretty well. He actually won in 1935 and 37, I think the years were. He wow. actually won the um, Brisbane Premiership. He, so he was in the Bandamba Rangers team from across the road that won the the uh, the highest level in Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, then my father. Spencer, so grandfather's Alexander. Uh, my father Spencer in 1955 for Bandama Rangers again. He won the uh, Brisbane First Division at the highest level in Queensland again. Uh, premiership. Uh, he he went on the following year or that year, 1955. He started playing for Australia. He played 22 games for Australia against a, a variety of. Uh, teams from various nations. He toured New Zealand in 1958. So he's the third highest. A lot of uh, soccer footballers from Ipswich who played for Australia around around those earlier days, and he was the third highest of um, of the Ipswich footballers. So he he was he was actually bought by Azuri, the Italian based team. Wow! Uh, in 1959 to help them get back into the first division. Uh, he was paid. He was working in the um, Ipswich Railway Workshops at the time, and he received twenty dollars a game. Uh, sorry, twenty pounds a game from Azuri, so that made the mind up to go down there to, to play. He was that would have been uh, a big they, deal back then. Uh, it was. It, mm. it, it it divided. There was a, a huge divide put put it in Ipswich football. They're actually in the Queensland Times called um, uh, almost almost lepers for leaving Ipswich football to. To go for the money, but the twenty pounds a, a match was equivalent. Was actually more than what he was earning a week. He was married the following year with uh, so and and uh, um, started a family, and you know that money helped a lot. And and the next year, probably a dozen or two dozen Ipswich internationals or near near internationals state players certainly that that went down to either Azuri, the Italian club, uh, Hellenic. The Greek club or uh, Hollandia, the Dutch club. The following year, there's a mass exodus from Ipswich, and Ipswich football was um, probably in the doldrums a bit from uh, during that time through the 60s and 70s. Um, we got to the 80s, and I I was I managed to um, uh, the one time that an Ipswich side won the top division. Well, it's the only time since since the, the 50s that an Ipswich side has won the top league in Queensland and I was in that side that was in uh, 1985. How many years were you playing, Brett? All, all together, I, I guess I started in the 60s and mm. finished uh, in, in 1969 as a six-year-old and, and finished um, as an over 35 in 2011. Oh, so, old fella. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, that's exactly what we called ourselves, the oldies. Let's talk about your early working life. What was your first job? Uh, my first business probably was was um, catching penny turtles out of the gully at Dinmore and uh, selling them around the neighbourhood. That was when I was about 10. Um, but that wasn't my first job. My first job was, I think, probably at Harvest Markets. I did a, um, when I was about 15, 14 to 15. Uh, that was um, uh, just on a Saturday I was still at school, so... On a Saturday, it was six, six till six, basically. Um, so twelve-hour day for. Uh, I, I remember the um, the pay the first the first day ten dollars after school. Uh, moved to um, MBF in Brisbane for a short while to Thorn Furniture, 
uh, out at Raceview uh, for um, for some time, but then then was signed to go play football in um, in Townsville in the ta- in the state league at the time. So that was 1980, uh, late 80 that I was signed to go up there, played 81, 82 up in Townsville. And while I was there, studied a, or attained a Bachelor of Commerce degree from James Cook University. Um, also, whilst, whilst I was there playing football, managed to uh, win the state league, so the highest level in, in Queensland, uh, with Townsville um, in 1982. That same year, we also won the Ampole Cup um, and we actually defeated Ipswich at Ebervale. So I was playing for a side a thousand miles away. I was a 19 year old, uh, still a teenager, and I was playing for a side a thousand miles away and and uh, won a, an Ampole Cup medal at my home ground at Ebervale. Then came back after the after the degree. Uh, the first job in 1984 was with Pete Mark Mitchell. That was a, a chartered accountancy firm in uh, in Brisbane. Um, so I, I had a, a couple of jobs over a few years, and uh, and moved out of out of practice into commercial accounting, and that was to Hardboards Australia at Bundamba. So I was back to Bundamba, and you stayed there um, quite a few years. Yeah, I was there for twelve years. So mm. I started as a cost accountant, uh, became the accounting manager, was was transferred down to Oberon in the Blue Mountains for a major expansion as a commercial manager of the the entire site there, so there were about 500 employed down there. I was brought back to Bundamba again and uh, became the factory manager for a couple of years. Then the group uh, uh, Hardboards commercial manager um, across Australia. Uh, that was at the time that CSR owned the owned Hardboards mm-hmm. and it was part of the wood panels division of CSR. CSR at the time was, I think, number three uh, in the top, certainly in the top five companies on the list on the stock exchange. Where and when did you make a connection with horse racing? Uh, with my granddad. So I'd have only been nine. He passed away when I was about ten or eleven. So uh, sitting beside him, he was in his. He, he retired from the railways. He was a brickmaker in the. Well, the bricky supervisor building all the brick sheds out at the Ipswich Railways workshop. He retired in uh, in about 1970, and he'd sit every Saturday afternoon and watching TV at Bavel at the house and at Railway Street. And I'd be sitting beside him, following the horses along with him. A few years later, I went to the uh, the first Ipswich Cup that I went that I'd seen in 1978. I saw Lord Boy win for Bart Cummings, the um, the well known. Uh, winner of many Melbourne Cups, and uh, I was kind of hooked on on racing. Then I, I should take a, a bit of a step back. Back in 1971, so a few years before mm. sitting with Granddad, I was a, I was at Bandamba Primary School, and uh, so the, the the fence of the school borders the obviously borders the racetrack. Um, the night before, I was watching TV with my dad and saw this big grey stallion called Silver Knight and they were showing him talking about him saying he's in the Melbourne Cup tomorrow and I was a bit excited about that and I, was a, I thought it, look at this magnificent big grey stallion and then the next day watching the race over the fence sorry I was at the fence at Bundamba Primary School watching races at Bundamba 
I didn't know where the Melbourne Cup was or exactly what it was. I just <laughs> saw this big grey stallion. Yes. The particular race at lunchtime that day on Melbourne Cup Day in 1971, so the first Tuesday in 1971, and Ips, uh, at Ipswich at Bandama, there were races on and there was a grey uh, a big grey horse. Um, I don't remember if it was a stallion or mare or, uh, or gelding even, but uh, I remember seeing uh, this this grey horse uh, won by probably a few lengths and won pretty easily. And I turned to the kids beside me and said, "That that's that must be Silver Knight. It's just won the Melbourne Cup." And I got home and and Dad said to me, um, "Silver Knight did win the Melbourne Cup." And I said, "Yeah, I know. I saw him." But thinking that. That, um, it was the same horse. <laughs> it's the centre of the universe, Bandamba. So it must uh, obviously, certainly the centre of my universe at that time. And so it must obviously be Silver Knight winning the Melbourne Cup because there's a grey horse and, and it's at Bandamba. So, um, I, I, yeah, I found out found out sometime later that, that in fact the Melbourne Cup is run at Flemington. Um, yeah, some distance so, away. <laughs> yes. So in 1978, I said to, to, to go back forward again in 1978, I saw the. Uh, the Ipswich Cup for the first time. I was a fifteen-year-old. I just loved, loved it. I, was, I, I just hooked on the excitement, the colour of, of horse racing, and and I'd been, you know, um, hooked a bit by my my grandfather's punting and you know the the excitement of having a win now and again. And I remember um, I had a twenty-year uh, school anniversary dinner that was held at the Val Bowls Club in nineteen ninety-seven. And there were three, uh, I, I, so it was asked for, to, of all of the school kids mm. 20 years later, um, what have you done over the past 20 years and what do you intend to do over the next 20 years? The three things that I put on that, I, I just pulled it out a, a few weeks ago. We're starting to clean out the house at home and I, I just pulled it out and, um, and saw it. And the three things that I put were that I'm going to do over the next 20 years are to purchase property on the coast. Uh, to uh, do everything we can to help the kids out. So at the time, the kids were um, what's that, se- uh, seven, five, and three years old. Mm-hmm. Do everything we can to help the kids out and to um, get involved in the thoroughbred horse racing industry. With horse racing, it so happened that it was only six months later that we had a gymnasium. Uh, my wife and I had a gymnasium at Redbank Plains. It's still there. That uh, it was a squash, the squash courts and gymnasium. We'd run it for five years, and it was becoming too much. So with kids three, five, and seven years old, we, we said we'll get out of this and move to a farm, which we did, out of Peak Crossing, and actually bred some thoroughbred horses out there. And l- knowing very little about you know about um, about horses beforehand, but we we went out and you learned fast, men- yeah, yeah, that's it. Bought a few <laughs> mares and uh, bred a few horses and won a few races. So we named the, the horses after the kids, and um, there's Alex's princess. Probably the best of them, and then Alan Loves Rose has won a race up at Gatton, and a horse called Tika's Blue Star, which was our middle daughter's. Uh, Tika's Blue Star won at Eagle Farm by four lengths, and and at Gatton, so won a couple of races. We bred all of those, and um, uh, it, that one also raced on Ipswich Cup Day. It ran about fifth on that day, but that was in two thousand and four. Mm. So yeah. the transition to GM of the Turf Club, how did that come about? At the time, I'd, I'd been with. Steggles at Wool Caraca. Over the previous, over that time, the four years, we'd been we're out on the farm breeding breeding horses, and uh, um, obviously loving horses, involved with them. And the position at the Turf Club came up, and the things that they were looking for uh, at that particular time were um, a, a financial uh, acumen, 
So I'd been a CPA, Certified Practicing Accountant, for 20-odd years at that time. Uh, a strategic mindset. And as I just said, um, back in 97, when I when I said, here are my three goals, I've, I've always had a, always been quite goal-driven. That's one thing that suited me to a T, a strategic mindset. Also a passion for racehorses. So obviously I've long had a passion for racehorses. Mm. And, and to be a local with a local understanding. So they were the they were the four criteria that the the committee were looking for at the time, which was obviously very clearly matched, very well matched to um, to my my situation, uh, you know, where I was at the time. And Ipswich yeah. Cup Day is now the biggest regional racetrack event annually in Australia. When did yeah. it actually step up a gear to go from a, a large-ish event to the huge race day that we now know? It, it's always been a large. Uh, a large event, so, so uh, relatively, you know, compared around the place. Um, so back in '78, when I went to my first Ipswich Cup, the years after that, after I finished school, and like the next five, ten years, even though were well, twenty years, I, I've been to every Ipswich Cup since that time, and it's always been this, the the city of Ipswich have always always supported that race day at that time through the the last part of the. 20th century, everywhere, like all of the regional race meetings were attracting, you know, large large crowds. At the turn of the millennium, around about that time, there were a number of things that happened to the industry uh, with other forms of wagering, competition, uh, Foxtel coming on to TVs at home so you could watch your races at home yes. or in pubs and clubs mm. right across the country. And then you've got your online betting that came in and you've got sports betting, uh, it, which is one of the other... Uh, many other wagering, so so casinos and and pokies, especially in Queensland, they only came in late in the twentieth century. Um, all of those things came in, which made a great competition for the wagering dollar. In addition to that, it meant that the racetracks themselves had great difficulty attracting people to come to the races because if you can sit at home or a club or a pub in air conditioned comfort with a six-pack and a, eat, eating what you like in your lounge chair, uh, able to bet on your, your phone or online or, or however, um, there became less motivation to actually go to the races. And, and that's probably the, the main achievement in relation to the Ipswich Cup. It did continue growing, um, but it hasn't dropped off as have other meetings across Australia. So when all of these things have hit, uh, for those reasons, there, there were, have been much, many fewer people going, actually going to the races. Even the, um, the Melbourne Cup Carnival last year, across the four days, it was down to 250,000 people compared to uh, uh, 10, 10, 15 years ago when it was 450,000 wow. people. Or everywhere, the Cox Plate, um, the, uh, except for when Winks was there, or, or Maccabi Diva, like great horses. Yes. But uh, the Caulfield Cup, all, all the major races, and even the regional races, race meetings, they've all dropped off because there's less incentive to, to actually go to a racetrack. So that's the big thing that we've done is to is to create, over that 15 years, to create a social um, a social event, obviously, for the people of Ipswich. And the people of Ipswich has, have strongly supported, to, supported that. Basically asked over that time, and changed things up a bit, but asked over that time, uh, what do you want? You know, and, and, and the introduction of, of entertainment on the infield, uh, DJ entertainment on the, on the infield is probably a big example of things that have been done. When we first did that, we were almost being told to 
get out of town. How can you be putting musical <laughs> I, entertainment I remember on when you started that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and even back prior to that, if you go back to 2007, when uh, so that one of the one of the changes from early on when I was here was to move away from the culture of drinking as much beer as you can to turning it to more of a, a an upmarket, fashionable, um, social day. One of the key problems with liquor licensing, or the the biggest problem with liquor licensing, is underage drinking. It was impossible to to manage underage drinking unless we actually said no underage people allowed at the Ipswich Cup, and that's what we did in nineteen in in, in uh, two thousand seven. In doing that, again, we well. I personally was called the Ipswich Nitwit um, on the front page of a of a prominent racing uh, newspaper uh, for um uh, for for going with eighteen plus status for the entire day. The racing industry couldn't understand at the time why, why aren't you letting children? Why are you banning the future generations from going to the race meeting? In hindsight, it was obviously the the right thing to do. We the kids of Ipswich. As they're growing up, they're seeing an Ipswich Cup and and looking forward to being able to go to the Ipswich Cup when they turn eighteen. Yes. So um, there are a number of other tracks that um, did the same sort of the same thing afterwards as well after we'd we'd done it. But it, it was the first we were the first in Australia and it was quite a bold step. I remember uh, Richard Friedman on Sky Racing the next morning, the morning after the Ipswich Cup, saying what what the hell's going on at Ipswich? So I, I've just got an email here saying that the it was an 18-plus event. How can you do that for a race meeting? And now, that, that was one of the first steps in getting to the point where you, you have a, a sustainable day, a sustainable event, creating something uh, that is, is going to entice people to, uh, is attractive to people, yes. to, you know, to a majority of, of or to a large part of the market. Mm, mm. And the day really is, the community of Ipswich. Well, sadly, there was no Ipswich Cup this year, but two key races did go ahead on the 18th of July. How has racing fared overall in this year of COVID? Unexpectedly, very well. The The main reason was in the three months around mid-March, we were locked down, so, so there were no patrons at the races up until July. So during that period, the races racing continued and the industry did very well to keep racing going during that time. Mm. Um, across Australia, there was no AFL, or there was, so there was no NRL, no sports betting. There was no English Premier League football. There was no um, American basketball. So, as I say, unexpectedly, the, the wagering on racing uh, right around the world increased dramatically over that time. Uh, because there was very little other option, so even on on Ipswich, the the wagering on Ipswich from the US uh, increased probably tenfold over over that time. Wow! Um, yes, which had um, a couple of impacts. Firstly, it, it it allowed the clubs, it allowed Racing Queensland to financially subsidise the clubs to keep them running through that period. Mm-hmm. So if we if we lose the Ipswich Cup, we're we're in a financial hole. Uh, uh, because it's the one big race meeting, all the rest across the, the year are midweek race meetings. Um, what Racing Queensland did was to to reduce prize money through the Winter Carnival and use that prize money to subsidise the clubs, not realising that they're going to get a, a, a significant boost in revenue to the tune of um, 
uh, probably about 40% during the, the last quarter of, of the financial year. Uh, so, so they received that boost and were able to subsidise the clubs. So the clubs are in the same position they would have been if they had have had the races go. Uh, Racing Queensland are reporting a, a, um, a profit. Um, and the, the second part of that is that it, you've got, for the first time in many years, you've got people coming back to racing uh, for, for a totally unexpected, for a totally unexpected reason that COVID actually had people coming back to racing. And there's the opportunity, obviously, to capitalise on on that for the industry to to highlight the, you know, the, the excitement, the colour, um, the glamour of the of the industry of of, of the sport. Brett, you've announced your retirement coming up uh, next year. You'll no doubt be leaving on a high with the completion of the redevelopment of facilities there at Bundamba. I think something like $25 million has been spent. The new That's events right. and entertainment centre is obviously the standout. It's a very different-looking facility. What's been built, moved and renovated? Yes, okay. So there's quite a bit. Uh, there was two areas of expenditure. Uh, one was funded by the Racing Industry Fund, uh, or Racing Infrastructure Fund, uh, that was project managed by Racing Queensland. Uh, but so the club had little, little to do with that. Uh, but um, having said that, we're very excited with with what we're left with. So, and the elements of that were the were the the new Grange Lounge, uh, which is the members' lounge on race day, and it's over the top of new jockeys and stewards' rooms, which are uh, beside a new kitchen. Um, the new Grange Lounge can fit up to 300 people banquet style uh, and uh, 500 people theatre style, uh, perhaps the biggest lounge west of um, west of Mount Cooper. Mm. Um, so that's the first element. There's a new a new bitumen car park uh, that was required for that, that Grange Lounge. There's a new set of race day stalls, um, 124 stalls, uh, state-of-the-art. The racetrack itself has been uh, the irrigation and drainage. Um, so the drainage has been a, a, a long time, long-term problem with clay underneath where you've got coal, you've got clay, and uh, underneath the track, um, the, the clay has meant very little drainage, but uh, I, there was a couple of million dollars spent in total on drainage and irrigation. And then the widening and curbing of, um, of Teal Cooney Avenue um, out the front, coming off Brisbane Road. Uh, so each each of those elements made up the the overall project. There's also a roof uh, put over the top of the Island Lounge, the old Island Lounge. Oh yes, uh, yes. So that was th- they were the elements that were done by Racing Queensland over the infrastructure fund. Uh, in addition to that, the club has spent some some of its own resources uh, in and done a few things. So the Installed a racing museum, an Ipswich Racing Museum, a children's playground, a, a chef's garden uh, patch, introduced or, or built the Barn Family Restaurant from the original Taboom Lounge, which was built about 15 years ago. Um, upstairs, the old Island Lounge, it, it was built 36 years ago. It has been separated into a function room plus a separate sports bar called the Thoroughbred Sports Bar. So all of those elements, including as well as the, um, the Trackside Lounge, which has been here for uh, 60 years, all of those elements now go uh, uh, have joined 
to make the Ipswich Events and Entertainment Centre, which has something for everyone, uh, and including racing, obviously, looking looking to appeal to families of Ipswich. Well, there's no doubt it's a great addition to the racetrack and probably the, the most significant building period uh, since horse racing began at Bundamba. It would be, that's right, Alan. Um, there, there have been different things. So back in 1984, uh, when Russ Sins was the, um, the Minister for Racing, Loftus Foot was the chairman at the Ipswich Turf Club. The, that was when the Island Lounge was built uh, at the back of the grandstand. Uh, and there were new stalls, new race day stalls for the horses built at that time, as well as a a kitchen and, a, and the uh, beer garden. That that was the biggest up until that time. So we've been racing here for 130 years at, at Bandamba itself. Mm. This this one certainly is is the biggest um, the biggest project uh, and refurbishment uh, over over all of that time. You must be tempted to stay a bit longer after overseeing such a huge upgrade, but when and how did you come to the decision that it was time to call it a day and go for that big R word, retirement? Yeah, yeah I, I, I've been uh, thinking about it for a long, long time um, and plan again, as I said earlier, quite goal-driven and planning for it for a long, long time. My father, Spencer, um, passed away a few years ago, but he, 25 years prior to that, he had a severe stroke, so he was 58 years of age, 58 in two months uh, back in 1992. Uh, it was actually uh, f- uh, four, four days before our middle daughter was born that he had a severe stroke. Uh, the quality of life was um, was shot after that. He, he very low mobility, um, and I, you know, I looked at him at the time and, and thought, You've worked that hard all your all your life. You've achieved a lot in um, with your family and your and your sporting uh, uh, activities, and you get to this this point and you can't enjoy your retirement. Mm. You, you know, and it was at that time I started thinking I, I don't want to go beyond fifty eight. So so with the same age. So that's the number you chose. Fifty eight. Yeah. yeah, I turned fifty eight in um, in uh, February next year. It actually coincides with uh, with being able to access superannuation, and uh, on the first of March, that is the, the last day of the pay week uh, after I turn fifty eight. So that's that's the day the date that I've chosen, and and obviously given uh, a lot of notice to the um, to the club to allow a smoother transition to the new person. Yeah, exactly. As, as we possibly mm. can. Brett, well, I'd like to wish you all the best in retirement, and thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. So thank you for talking with Ipswich today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, Alan. Thank you. Ipswich today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. If you like what you hear, please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the donate button at the bottom of the page. You can subscribe for free and share this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today from your smart speaker. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening.
from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.